0: Welcome to Pulse Check Wisconsin. Hello, hello. and Welcome back to Pulse Check Wisconsin. Again, my name is Chris Ford. I'm an emergency medicine doctor here in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And I want to thank you for joining us, which is now our second podcast episode. If you hadn't listened to the first, just to provide you some background, what we're trying to do with this podcast is to provide you with some context into what's going on in the emergency department. Some of the things that we see day in and day out, as well as some of the things that we see in the hospital. The ultimate goal is to provide you with this background and hopes to keep you out of the emergency department, as well as to give you some insight into what you can expect to see when you come to the emergency department. In addition, what we want to do is to give you some tidbits of information that you can take back to your families, to your friends, to your loved ones, maybe even to your workplace in order to, to kind of help facilitate some of that preventative care and to keep you safe while you're out in the community. So... Today's episode uh, is going to kick off like the remainder of the episodes will from here on out. The first one was the intro episode. This one will be our kind of bread and butter presentation. So we'll start out with a case that I'll be covering pretty soon. And the case is going to highlight some of the things that we will talk about later on and kind of delve into a little bit more later on in the show. So, We'll cap it off after that with a special guest to kind of help reinforce some of those uh, principles that we discussed and then to give you some information in terms of next steps, things that you can do to help if you have interest to do so. This episode, again, like I said, we will start out with our first case. So with that being said, what I'm going to do is I'm going to turn it over to that case, which will be starting right now. So it's 10 30 at night on a saturday i get a call from ems that we have a patient coming in with difficulty in breathing from the page that we get out the report says it's a 19 year old female difficulty breathing we have all the airway supplies available just in case and a respiratory therapist is there as well the patient is brought directly into our resuscitation bay at time of arrival we learned that the patient is a college student and she was out earlier this evening with some of her friends. She became unresponsive when they got back to their dorm room and the friends called EMS. The patient's friends admit that the patient had been drinking that evening, but it was unknown if she had been taking anything else, if she had any illicit substances. They didn't know what kind of medication she had been on in the past. At time of arrival, the patient's vital signs demonstrate that she has a slow heart rate, her respiratory rate, or how fast she's breathing, uh, is relatively low in the single digits. Normally, we like to see that around anywhere from 12 to 18 for an adult. Herds were in the single digits, about four or five breaths per minute, if that. The patient wasn't responding to pain. And at time of EMS arrival to the dorm room, They noted that the patient's pupils were, as we call pinpoint or very small. They noted that she was having what we call apneic episodes or episodes in which she was not taking any purposeful breaths by herself when she was in the rig. And they provided some back mass ventilation or just some breaths uh, by hand for her at that time. The EMS crew very astutely administered Narcan in the field, which is a reversal agent for opioids they said that they gave her four milligrams of narcan by nose with a nasal spray and then once they were able to establish an iv they were able to give her an additional two milligrams through the iv they said that the patient remained unresponsive after they gave this narcan occasionally though after they gave it she had some moaning but nothing really purposeful in terms of talking or moving her arms or legs. By the time she got to the ER, she's still having some significant difficulty breathing. So myself and the RT made a decision to get everything set up in the room in the event that we needed to place an airway or to provide a breathing tube for her. So I talked to my charge nurse who was in the room with me and told her to pull up another two milligrams IV of Narcan because it seemed as though she had some response to it. So we got that set up and we administered the two milligrams of Narcan. While my respiratory therapist is getting together all the airway equipment, I take a quick look from head to toe to see if there's any signs of any trauma to the head or trauma anywhere else that could be leading to this presentation. As I'm doing that, the patient still seemingly out of it has a large episode of what we call emesis or she throws up at that time so at that time we were able to suction out the airway to make sure she didn't aspirate or make sure none of this vomit gets into the lung space and at that time i made the decision to place the breathing tube not only to provide her with some oxygen but also to protect the airway after doing that, we were able to draw labs lab for the patient, uh, we were able to do some additional testing as well, and I discussed the patient with the ICU doctor or the intensive care doctor in order to secure her a bed upstairs as further workup will need to be done once she left the emergency department. After I had that conversation with the ICU doctor, I was able to look at some of the labs that had been sent. The labs are normal. The patient's EKG or the heart tracing that we use looked completely normal as well. I was able to look at her previous chart and there was nothing really in her past. She was on no prior medications. Again, the rest of her physical examination was normal. There was no signs of trauma, no evidence of any pathology that I could see otherwise, Uh, no seizure history that I saw on her records as well. However, there's one thing that came up on the labs that looked abnormal. It sent a toxicology screen for the patient as well, which had just come back. And with the exception of everything else that was negative, the two things that were positive on this patient's tox screen was a positive for oxycodone and a positive for fentanyl. So. There's a lot to unpack in that case. What ended up happening to the patient was she was admitted to the ICU with a breathing tube or an endotracheal tube on the ventilator. Eventually was able to be extubated, as we say, or able to have the tube removed. After about 24 hours or so, um, after she had time to process what ended up being an opioid toxicity or an overdose on oxycodone and fentanyl. In this case, the patient was very forthcoming with what she had ingested. It ended up being that she got a pill from someone that she knew. uh, She took it recreationally. She had no intentions of harming herself when she took it, but uh, more so was taking it just as a uh, recreational means. So, um, The patient thought that the pill that she was taking was oxycodone. She had had oxycodone in the past and has had Percocets in the past recreationally. I was not taking it chronically, but every now and then when she was partying, she said the issue was that this pill that she took was not only oxycodone, but there was fentanyl which is a synthetic opioid uh, that was laced in the pill itself. The patient ended up going home, did not have any long-term health effects from this, fortunately. Um, But this case is a case that we see commonly, unfortunately, around the country as well as here in the state. I mean, there was recently a case of... A, uh, a pilot that came into Middleton here in the state of Wisconsin, in which there were was seizure of over forty pounds of synthetic opioids or fentanyl, and so fentanyl opioids these are huge topics that affect our day to day life in the emergency department, affects a lot of uh, your lives as well. You know, you may have family members or you yourself maybe on opioids. Some folks may have addictions to opioids as well. And so it's very important that we touch on this topic and that we discuss it not only as a medical profession, but as a community, as a whole, in order to allow people to know what some of the dangers may be. When I say that this is something that we see commonly, a lot of times what will happen is folks who are either on opioids recreationally or if they're on opioids chronically, uh, if they run out of medications, we see that sometimes folks will fall back on other forms of opioids that are more readily available. So either that being, you know, narcotics that are available on the street like heroin uh, or some medications or some tablet forms of what they think is a certain type of opioid like oxycodone or uh, Norco or Percocet and ends up being you know, either containing some of that medication that they thought they were getting, some of that opioid that they thought they were getting, but also containing fentanyl. Now, the danger with fentanyl, and we should really tease this apart too, because fentanyl is something that we use in the emergency department commonly for um, what we call noxious procedures or procedures that will cause patients pain in the long run. It's something that can be used also in presentations like, appendicitis or things like, you know, that you'll be seeing in the emergency department for that can be causing some pain. But the difference is, is that although it is a synthetic opioid, the way that we use it in the hospital system is dosed by the patient's weight and it is a micro dosing of what is seen commonly in some of these street available formulations. The reason why fentanyl can be so dangerous and in, her, in the case of our patient that we saw, the reason why she it was so resistant to the Narcan, which is usually a reversal agent that we'll talk about a little bit later, is because fentanyl is up to 50 times stronger than heroin and up to 100 times stronger than morphine. So you heard me say that fentanyl is something that we use for pain in the emergency department. Morphine is something that we commonly will use in the emergency department as well. And so this is something that can be up to 100 times stronger than morphine. And the reason is is because how it binds to some of the receptors in the brain uh, that the opiate medications will bind to in order to produce that analgesia or produce that uh, decrease in pain that you'll experience. And so it's not uncommon, unfortunately, that these types of overdoses are deadly uh, especially if patients can't get to the emergency department uh, and can be deadly in the sense that it can be very resistant to the medications that we use in order to revive people from toxidrome or revive people from the medication overdose one thing that is being addressed at this point in time and we'll talk about with our guests coming up is the availability of narcan in the community. And there are many schools of thought on this topic, but it's no secret that Narcan can be life-saving in some instances in which you can't get to the hospital immediately. So there's been a lot of legislation. There's been a lot of social dialogue about how to make Narcan available and where it should be available as well. And so again, we'll get into that with our guests so this information is taken from the November 6 article in 2023 by shepherdexpress.com. Essentially, in the state of Wisconsin, there are more than 1,400 opioid overdose deaths. Milwaukee County had around 600, 650 of those overdose deaths. And so that focuses some of the severity of opioid use disorder. So what we're going to do is we're going to have next... Uh, guest here her name is amanda de leon she's doing amazing things in the community she works for a group called community medical services in south milwaukee um, she is currently the community programs and integration manager for cms uh, and they offer medications counseling and other wraparound support services for people with opioid use disorder and so with that being said we're going to turn it over to the interview For the listeners, could you tell me a bit about yourself uh, and kind of what your role is in the community?
1: Oh, yeah. So um, I was born and raised here in Milwaukee. Um, Been here all of my life. You know, a little bit about myself. My dad was um, a police officer, so he retired as a Milwaukee police sergeant. Um, Grew up inner city on Mitchell Street just about until I was like 16, so you know, cops had to live in the neighborhood. So therefore we lived in the neighborhood, which I think was the best decision for me. Um, just so I can just be more culturally involved in the community and seeing where um things were and just like the injustices, right? That we 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 had to succumb to in the communities that we worked in. So or we lived yeah. in. So yeah.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. My dad um, kind of in the same vein was a Chicago firefighter. Uh, okay. so same deal. Like we had to live within the city mm-hmm. you know, limits and kind of went Chicago public schools and everything else, too. And yeah. you, you bring up a good point in that, you know, you, you if you live in a neighborhood and if you're from the community, you see it every day. People who you interact with every day, you know, uh, kind of succumb to some of the things that we talk about. Yeah. So it kind of gives you that added level of connection to the work and, you know, emphasize the importance of it. Yeah. And it's
1: like you could like I got to see a lot of different things growing up. Right. Because um, even though I'm Mexican, I was born here in America. Right. So <laughs> I always considered myself Mexican-American, you know, and then when you grow up on the south side, primarily Hispanics. Right. Mm-hmm. And so it was like I there was so many things that I had so many adversities that I had to work through you know, we went to Catholic school until we were in eighth grade and then went to lovely South Division when I went to ninth grade. (laughs) So I went from wearing like poodle skirts and totally kind of sheltered from the world to then all of a sudden I was, you know, all over um, in a school that you're just immersed in everything. And, you know, and so there was that part of it. And then there's the part of being mexican american and not being mexican enough for your mexican friends and not being american enough for your american friends because Mm -hmm. of my skin color and then the also the added component that trumped it all is the fact that my dad was a police officer so (laughs) it was like you know you i dealt with all of that and it it's so it was just i don't know so when people say i can't relate to anything i'm like you you got no you have no clue
0: <laughs> no clue. Absolutely. And yeah. well, I'm glad that you made it out of it. I'm glad that uh, you know, you didn't let it let it hold you back. You're doing amazing things. Oh no. So. Oh no. Never. <laughs> Never. So, so could you explain to me like what community medical services is and kind of the role that it plays uh, and then your role within it?
1: Yeah. So, okay. So, at CMS, so CMS is Community Medical Services and we're a medications for opioid use disorder clinic. So, we offer All three forms of medications for opioid use disorder, so MLUD, um, that would be your methadone, your buprenorphine products, and Vivitrol. But we couple that with counseling, right? Um, And then there's all these lovely things called state and federal regulations that all OTPs, which an OTP is an opioid treatment program, in Wisconsin have to adhere to. And there's other states, too, but Wisconsin is extremely strict when it comes to OTPs, our regulations, They're more strict than the federal regulations, which the federal regulations changed. And we're hoping, hoping it's a very strong word that the state follows suit. But, you know, we can only get there. We just we'll get there eventually. But, you know, and the reason why we say that is because rules are meant for a reason. Right. But when it comes to like you're trying to meet people where they're at and provide a holistic approach, when the rules are so strict Mm-hmm. It doesn't it, it's not meeting somebody where they're at. Right. It's not it's not letting them feel like they have any control of treatment. So with the new changes, we're hoping that um, I know Wisconsin would probably be one of the last states to follow suit. But, um, you know, with those new changes, we're hoping to see more positive impact on the on the folks that we serve. So within my role, I know I'm I'm a long winded talking person. Oh no, you're doing great. (laughs) So, um, community medical services they they knew way back when they first started in Arizona that they needed to commit to um, to uh, have these folks like me, community impact managers, and we went through so many different words and names of our my title has changed by at least six times since I've been here, but. (laughs) Um, but our role is to be embedded in the community. Yes, we want to be out there and educate folks on M O U D, but they want us in the community to break down the barriers, to to break down those silos, to let everyone know that we should be working together instead of separate to be um, to provide the best quality of care to these folks that we serve, because we know that these folks don't get treated right in the healthcare systems, in the correctional systems, and wherever they go to the dentist. Right. So it's finding those system partners that will treat our patients with care. So we can say, hey, you know that tooth that needs to come out, go see Dr. Dr. Hernandez, right? Mm-hmm. They'll get you mm-hmm. in, they'll treat you with respect, get that tooth removed, you know. So again, treating patients where they're meeting patients where they're at and treating them holistically. So that's why they created our role. And our role is not funded, right? And that's the same mm-hmm. thing for our peer supports. That's not a funded position here in Wisconsin either. So these are like you know, and I hate to say it, but you have to in a business. These are financial hits that a company takes, but they see the reward on the other end of having people boots on the ground, advocating for the needs of the patients. So that way they can get the best quality of care that is needed. Um, right. So, yeah, I mean, that's that's my role in a nutshell. I'm everywhere um, that I can be um, within, you know, my trying to find limitations and healthy boundaries that I don't know (laughs) what that means yet, but, you know, it's, I, I just, I want to be out there to advocate for folks that don't, that can't advocate for themselves. Right. And when they automatically know somebody who's using, right. Oh, we look at them negatively, but if they, if I come at them in a professional manner, They'll look at me and they'll listen to me, and then mm-hmm. I can send Johnny over there because they've listened to me. Not, and that's that sounds really negative, but it's listened. an opening.
0: It's an opening yeah. that they're able right to connect that avenue, right?
1: Correct, correct. Right. So yeah, right.
0: Well, it sounds like you you're coming at it from a couple of different perspectives, right? And I feel like that is the biggest step that we've taken forward in the last, you know, 15, 20 years in that we're removing the stigma of criminalization uh, behind, you know, opioid use disorder as well as, you know, any other narcotic form. But it looks like you're, you're, you've are you taken a role um, that, you know, kind of mixes some, like, psychology as well as some clinical uh, background of it, too. From, from your educational background, do you have yeah. um, kind of that duality? How did that go?
1: Yeah, so when I first started at I went into school thinking, what are the, what is a field that I can go into that's going to make um, be sustainable for my family, right? Because you know I always think about I can only control what I can do, right? right. And so I started at Obern at Overno, nursing and psychology, but unfortunately, when I got through, I think I had one year left, no, a semester left of my nursing, and when I was in my clinical back then, you had to start, you had to do twelve hour shifts overnight. And that wasn't going to fit in with my family structure. So then I was like, okay, let me do psych. So I switched over to psych with substance use and through all of that education and at Overno, right, we use our eight Mm -hmm. abilities. They focus on community. And I think that was the the, the right education for me because of, you know, you never know what the future is going to hold. And now look at where I am in the community. So I've been able to utilize all of the skills that I've learned there into the community that I serve.
0: Yeah. And do you feel that, you know, the uh, the way that things have been going kind of in recent years or kind of increased legislation uh, going coming out to provide Narcan to the community, the most Mm -hmm. recent X waiver, you know, uh, uh, ability that, you know, physicians can prescribe it now without having gone through the program. Do you feel like all those things are kind of making moves forward uh, in the war against opioids at this point or?
1: I think we are. I, I would like yeah. to think we are. And I'm not being, you know, um, gullible about that. But I mean,
0: no.
1: our death rate doesn't show it, right? Um, I th- think when I added it up, I think we were at 691 last year and, mm. and the year before we were at 674. But at the same time, you know, I think like the, there's been so many non fatal saves, right? Mm. And mm. if you think about how many non fatal saves there have been, the reason why is because there's been Narcan in their hands, right? right. So mm-hmm. I, I don't understand. Um, I mean, I understand where people are getting at as far as like, Well, no, Wisconsin has a far way to go. We are way more advanced than any other state. We are doing like, like they're starting bup inductions in the field. I mean, Mm -hmm. come on now. That's, that's Mm -hmm. flipping amazing, right? We have um, our fire chief on board with passing out Narcan kits when folks don't want to go into treatment, right? Mm -hmm. Because we know they're going to go AMA. They're not going to, they're not going to want to go to the hospital. They're they're right. they're not thinking that clearly, especially when you come out of an overdose. So, like I said, those Narcan saves that's that's been happening because those Hope Kits are in their hands. It's because we're making Narcan ex- easily accessible. Uh, it's getting it out there, giving them the tools that we need, just like we did, you know, back in what was it, the '80s when we mm-hmm. gave out condoms and put up clinics for HIV. You know, we we saw a problem, and this is how we're tackling it.
0: So. I just gave an interview and we talked about before for the news talking about Narcan. But the reason why we did the interview is because there was a recent um, uh, bus driver that was in Milwaukee County that mm-hmm. saved someone's life based on, you know, kind of being trained, not only having that training, but having the Narcan available, like you spoke to, and how that yeah. can save a life, right? And like you said, EMS is on board, um, you know, people's on board too, kind of getting, you know, boots on the ground to make sure that we're kind of pushing these efforts to save people's lives because. The same way that you would have a defibrillator in the community for somebody with heart disease, yep. or have an epipen in the hands of someone Correct. with a peanut allergy, right? Like Narcan is is life saving in that stead. Yeah, yeah,
1: I would I would totally agree. And that was um, Abby Van Handel, I think her name is. I don't know how to spell her, say her last name, but she works with the Kaukauna Public Health and South Shore Cares. There was hmm. um, an uptick of overdoses in Milwaukee on the Milwaukee County Transit system. And so she met with them. And then that's how that all started. And now there's they're they're implementing that with new driver trainings and all of that Mm -hmm. (laughs) because of that safe. So it's pretty darn amazing.
0: Well, one of the things that I I want to take a step back real quick, just to kind of talk about that, that Narcan, talk about some of the medications that are available for people with opioid use disorder. I just wanted to see if you could speak to that a little bit more, uh, kind of, first off, Narcan, and then secondarily, like, what other medications are available that can help people with this disorder?
1: Yeah, totally. So... Um, First off, so Narcan, which, you know, Narcan's a brand name. We're trying to use naloxone now, but at the same time, we know everybody knows the name of Narcan. So we'll stick with what people will gravitate. So with that, as you, you know, for those that are listening, Narcan reverses an opioid overdose, right? It only works on an opioid overdose. Now, we know that there's other things out there. Like the fentanyl and then like those designer drugs with the the isatines attached to them. But any other like tranquilizers, Narcan isn't going to work for. So that's why we always strongly encourage everyone to call 911. If you find somebody passed out, right, and not responsive in any way, call 911. Because first off, the Narcan might not work. And secondly, it might be some other medical issue. Right, mm. there's other things that are going on. You know, they could have a heart attack or a seizure or something. Right, some other health issue that you need nine one one there. Um, but Narcan, it has such a high infinity that it clears off those opioid, the opioids that are on the receptors. But the key thing is that if I would want everyone to understand that just because you Narcan them doesn't mean that they won't go back into that same overdose. Okay, so exactly. again, another reason why. Folks need to go into the hospital because those drugs, the drugs are stronger than the Narcan after the Narcan wears out. It lasts for about an hour tops, right? So those drugs are still in their system and eventually it's going to find that magnetic, you know, attraction to those receptors and then they can overdose again. So that is a medication that's... Is to save somebody from an overdose, right? You can't treat people with that. But the three medications that you can use to treat folks for that have an opioid use disorder is methadone, right? Methadone is a complete blocker, uh, or not a complete blocker, it completely attaches to that opioid receptor. So mm-hmm. it makes somebody feel like they're on something without the high feeling, right? Methadone is the gold standard as well. So, you know, if my kids ever, God forbid, became addicted to opiates, I would be like, get on methadone because they will feel better quicker and get sober faster. Buprenorphine, it's like, think of a square on that receptor. So it's almost a complete binder, right? It has, um, it's an agonist and an antagonist. So it has a little bit of that naloxone product in there. So that's why folks, when they're sick uh, or when they've just used, and then they try to take a buprenorphine strip, they get sick because it's that naloxone, Mm -hmm. right? And then Vivitrol is a complete blocker on that receptor. So that's why folks don't typically do well with Vivitrol, but also you have to be sober for about seven to 10 days. So that's hard to do. And everyone's like, well, if they want it, they can do it. Well, hey, new year, new me. Well, how right. long did it take you to get that box of Oreos out and eat it before, you know, you probably had that box of Oreos out by the 3rd, right? January
0: 3rd, and, yep. <laughs>
1: yep, and, 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 and that sugar is, has the same kind of wheat. You know, there's research that shows Sugar Mm -hmm. addiction, you know, it spikes up that dopamine. We have that same response. So again, when you're thinking about that and you want to judge somebody, just think, oh, I'm not going to, oh, I'll just go to the bar and have one beer. And then you have three, you have four, right? Mm -hmm. So you have to Mm -hmm. think about it. It's different. It's more of like a brain disease versus the control, pull up your bootstraps and stop using But those are the medications that can be used. And an OTP is the only place that you can get methadone for opioid use disorder. Mm -hmm. So you'll have to go into a clinic that you have to dose in every single day. Okay. So when people are out there judging our folks that are coming into treatment, hey, when is the last time you've done something every single day that you were committed to because you wanted to feel better? And that's for methadone and buprenorphine. Vivitrol obviously is once a month, but oh, the other medication that we offer is another buprenorphine product called Sublocade So that's an injectable mm. form of um, buprenorphine product versus the sublingual. But yeah. these folks have to come in every single day. You have to commit yeah. to that hopping on a bus for an hour and a half, one way, one way to a clinic. And that's in snow, that's in rain, in the heat. It doesn't matter. These folks are that committed that, they want to do better. And so they're right. going into a treatment program versus an office base. So like when you were talking about the X waiver, so like a nurse practitioner, a mid um, a mid-level provider or a physician can prescribe folks buprenorphine strips or the sublicate and the Vivitrol. So they can go into an office and get that medication. And if it strips, they'll get like a week's worth at a time. Now, some of those clinics do have, you know, the added benefit of having counseling, on top of that, because we know medications is a small portion folks right. need counseling. They've they mm-hmm. did so much that they need to work through in order for them to get on that right on their path of recovery. Medication only takes that edge off. But you've you went against your morals and your values. You've done things that you're not entirely proud of. Right. You might not have your kids in your care. Having that licensed therapist there will help you work through that and give you more tools in your toolbox for when things get rough. Let me pull that out. What do I need to do right now instead of using? So, you know, that works. Um, And so some of those obots will offer that as well. But at an OTP, we always offer it. It's part of treatment.
0: And already, uh, I mean, with that explanation, I'm so happy that I was able to get you on this one because you hit on a lot of good points there. Right. And so not only. Kind of with the medical background of each one of the treatment options, as well as the reversal agent of naloxone, but also in the the change in the understanding of opioid use disorder. I would say very early in my career, you had some old school folks that were there, like, oh, she's back again. You know, we don't want to do this. She just wants narcotics, et cetera, et cetera. And as I've moved on through medicine, you see that that understanding has fortunately gone by the wayside because, as you said before, you know, these are things that folks are trying to get better from. They're trying to um, put in the work, going through something daily. In addition to, you know, having to go to the clinic to get those treatments, they're still raising a family, right? They're still trying to go to work. They're still trying to take care of all their activities of daily living. So all those things fit into the whole sequela that is opioid use disorder that's not only the body, but also there there's some psychology behind it and there's some neurochemical effects that folks, anybody would succumb to of all walks of life. Correct. Yeah. What are your thoughts, speaking of Narcan, about the, there was a lot of, of media surrounding the Narcan stations that are offered throughout the city. Um, one was talking about the vending machines at UWM. Um, what are your thoughts about that? And then what are t- sort of next steps that you can think of from like a, a CMS uh, perspective that we can do to promote further uh, availability of, uh, of Naloxone in the community?
1: Yeah, so I think it's amazing that these vending machines are popping up everywhere. We are actually going to get a vending machine. Um, We were—it was supposed to be our Christmas present, but then it was delayed. (laughs) Yeah, and then we were like, "Yes, our Valentine's Day gift," and not yet. So it's supposed to come in March. Ours will be temperature controlled outside of our West Alice location, Um, and so folks just go in, hit the bin number, like. I want A6 and it's all Narcan, mm. right? right? And then it just simply comes right out. They don't ask no. any questions. And the, the great thing that Milwaukee did um, is listen to the community and by collecting data. So if you had to enter your birth date or, or whatever, we knew that was kind of a barrier to folks ac- accessing Narcan through those vending machines. So they simply just vend it out just like they would a bag of chips. It's, it's mm. amazing. Um, and again, it's meeting people where they're at, right? Right. If, you know they have a fifty dollar copay. They it's Narcan is not going to be that. That's like okay. And even over the counter, I saw it at Target for $45. It, it's forty five dollars.
0: It's Walgreens forty five dollars. Yeah. Like there's a coupon. On for thirty nine, people don't yeah. have that.
1: Like this, yeah. No, because you're right yeah. now. People are worried about how are they putting food on the table, right? Right. And now you're you're giving them that dilemma of do I get Narcan to save my son who I know is struggling, or do I go buy meat that will last us a couple of days, right? Right. So that's that's to me that's a huge barrier in on itself. Yes, great, we got it out in the hands, but that cost is so expensive. So go to the vending machines, go to your health departments. There's um, Milwaukee Fire. If you go to any firehouse door and knock on the on the door they will give out the hope kits no questions asked um oak creek fire has one as well outside of or inside their station three i think it is on Putes. can't remember but station three in oak creek um they have one as well um greenfield relocated theirs i'm not sure where it is now i think it might be in a firehouse Um, but I just think that getting it in the hands of where people need it is, is vital. And that was how we thought of at CMS when Narcan direct first started, um, they were like, get out there when you're at these events. If that's the way in of doing Narcan trainings, do the Narcan trainings. We brought Narcan to Pride Fest. We gave out Jesus. I think it was like, we ran out the nurses had to keep bringing it. I think we were up to almost 500 kits that we gave out at Pride Fest two years ago. And I would use I would use us. Right. Because we knew a lot of health departments were there was still a lot of backlash of them giving it out. So I would say, OK, let me come in as the resource table. I'll bring the Narcan and you can say, hey, we brought them here and give us the applause If their community likes it, then say, hey, we brought them here. Right. Mm-hmm. Because I, I, I'm all for that, because I know that the stigma attached because there's stigma attached to people carrying Narcan. There's right. not one Narcan training that I do not attend that somebody says, are they going to think that I'm a drug user for carrying them? And I get a little angry because I'm like, well, who cares if they do think like there's like a little right. negative, a negativity attached to that. And I'm like, well, no, I said, that's no different than an EpiPen or inhaler, right? right. You're just carrying it on you because you don't know what's going to happen. Absolutely. You know, you could be at a stoplight and somebody is overdosing, you know, right. so You know, you have that and it's good. It's always good to have that than not have it. Just like CPR training. They want everyone trained on it,
0: you know, because you
1: could save a life.
0: And I think the most recent reiteration of ACLS, I know it's been a while since the last time I researched it, but it looks like like they included Narcan training in there now. Like the American Heart Association is making a big pivot, Mm -hmm. as they should, to kind of include that so that the general public knows, you know, that this is something that's available and something that can save a life
1: agreed yeah and I think that's amazing that they do that now I think it
0: is Yeah. one of the things that you mentioned was um kind of uh, the partnerships with some of the fire departments um in the area of Milwaukee um, does CMS have partnerships with the fire departments and if so uh kind of are, are you guys kind of given training or given resources in that fashion
1: um all of the above is what I'll yeah. say. Right. Because the thing that I, again, I really love who I work for. I'm not just saying that because I work, you know, like this is the place that I work for. They, they pay my bills. Right. Right. right, right. I <laughs> truly love who I work for because um, when Mori, which is the Milwaukee overdose response initiative, when it first started before we even were, were, were going out, they were like um, I went to a meeting and they were talking about their overdose re- response plan. I gave recommendations and they were like, well, are you going to give us a peer? I'm like, well, heck, I don't have a peer, but let me talk to right. my company and figure out how I can get you a peer. <laughs> and then I called, I called, you know, we were small then. I called my, my, one of my bosses. I call them all my bosses because they're all ahead of me. And he was like, some, some explicit words. And he was like, let's do this. He goes, I'll worry <laughs> about talking to the financial people. You tell them yes. Let's get this position posted. This is absolutely amazing. And then that's how we got involved. Right. And again, this is why I love who I work for because there was no money. Okay. Nothing. It was like, Hey, do you have a peer? No, but let me try to get one. Right. And it was like, but Mm -hmm. I have no money for you either. Right. So, and it's like, you know what? I don't, I don't care when it about money, when it comes to, you can't put a value on somebody's life. right? Right. And so that's, you know, We're involved with the Milwaukee Fire Department. We provide a peer support specialist that goes out with two firefighter paramedics um, and a peer support. They go out to the non-fatal overdoses within 24 hours. Right. So if I were to overdose and I told, you know, the fire department to go pound sand, Maury would still come pay me a visit. You know, mm-hmm. and I might take, tell Maury to go pound sand, but guess what? Maury will set up another visit for the following week until I no longer tell them to go pound sand. Right. Right. So, and that's it's like innovative thinking like that is what's saving lives. And not only are we involved with Milwaukee fire, we're involved with West Dallas fire, Greenfield fire, um, St. Francis, South of Milwaukee. Um, there is that's the nursing, their nurse and a social worker in a police department. Um, but we, and Oak Creek is coming soon, Oak Creek fire, but it's just, again, we're thinking of these innovative approaches to meeting people where they're at and going to their home. How can we help you? Right. Right. So it's just, it's just awesome. I love the work that we're doing with our fire departments and our health departments. And again, you're breaking down barriers, health departments and OTPs never talked before, right? OTPs and fire departments never talked before. And so now we're all looking at it as, hey, Sally has overdosed three times this week. Instead of being always so reactive to it, how can we be a little bit more proactive to make sure she has the harm reduction items she needs? But also, let's give her a little bit of coddling to see where we can send her for treatment. Is she ready? She just might need a hot meal right now. And let's run to Burger King up the road and get her a hot meal. But right. it's building that relationship, setting setting that foundation, so that way when they're ready for treatment, they can get them into treatment.
0: That's awesome. That's mm-hmm. awesome. I so love it. If, it's, it's,
1: it's like oh, I was so glad to be a part of that passion project. It's amazing. Well,
0: this is exactly it, right? It's a passion project, and you know that it's something that you can go to work every day, and you know that you're making a difference in your community, and you know right. that the work that you're doing is going to affect multiple generations. That's that's the thing that. You know, I, I try to tell a lot of people, like when I'm doing advocacy work, um, you know the, the the point of this is opioid use disorder does not only affect that person; that affects their family, it affects their yes. kids. So this is a generational yes. condition that we can't just criminalize and we can't just Correct. you know turn into you know it, it, it's a it's a them issue. Right. So this is right. all of our issues and it affects all walks of life. And, you know, any avenues that we can make to provide the support and make it sustainable. Because it's one mm-hmm. thing just to bring, you know, some, some treatments in there and say, OK, we're gone. I'll see you later. But what you guys are doing is you're creating those avenues for this to be sustainable and we can build on it as, you know, healthcare professionals, as, you know, right. allied professionals in the community. Right.
1: Yeah. And there's that follow through. Right. We've connected through these overdose response teams, they've connected them to these resources, right? But that doesn't, doesn't stop that day, right? right? Just because we got Sally into treatment, we don't say, okay, good luck, see you later, Sally. They still follow up with Sally.
0: <laughs> right, right.
1: You know, exactly. and so it's just, it's amazing just that handholding and that coddling because you mentioned families. Families have given up, right? Mm-hmm. And I will never recommend a family. It is really hard because, you know, there's... In my life, there's there's individuals that have been struggling with substance use. It plays a oh, huge toll on the family, on just on You're the family there. structure, on what they go through. All I can say is, don't give them money. Go to Burger King. I keep picking on Burger King. My, I might, probably want Burger King, but oh, I say it, it
0: sounds good right now. <laughs> <It does. laughs>
1: old school chicken sandwich and right, it's so right. gross when you think about it but you just want one bite once in a while just one bite that's,
0: that's, that's me a double meat surge you're talking about right that's
1: what- <laughs> exactly exactly right and so it's just you know buying that person a meal right and meeting them where they're where they're at but for families that are out there that are struggling make sure you're seeing a therapist yourself make sure the children and the family are seeing a therapist themselves right. connecting with resources like al-anon and grasp These organizations will help you work through and in the event your child passes or your loved one passes away, there's members in those organizations that have come into that same thing, right? So they will be able to provide a resource to you and support. And I always think about like my really good friend, Amy, who's our peer support. Um, Her parents divorced as a result of her of her drug use and her mom even moved to Florida to get away from her. You know, so when you're thinking about um, I don't judge or shame any family member when they say is enough and is enough and close that door. The only right. thing I say is if you're driving them to a treatment center, just be silent. Don't belittle them. OK, it is a lot. And I know it's taxing on you to, and in, in a lot to ask of you to take them to a treatment center. But just don't belittle them. Just say, I'm glad you're going today, bud. All right. I'll be waiting for you when you get out. You know, even though you just you're tired of it yourself and you want them to get better, driving them to treatment is them getting better. So, you know, because we hear this all the time from our patients. Yeah, so and so took me. I had to hear this, this and this and this because we're wondering why would they get into the clinic? They're so riled up and it's because what they have to deal with, you know, and they know that's their fault. But it's still not something like, again, seek therapy so you can find other ways to channel that energy. And so that way that person can focus on themselves while they're in, while they're in treatment.
0: And, 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 you know, that holistic approach, you know, kind of taking a look at the, the, the entire patient, not only outside of the addiction, but also the psychology associated with it for both the person affected as well as the family, you know, that is, that is entirely the way that we come out of this, right? Like we, we, we've created this issue wholly, a lot of, a lot of a lot of it has to do with some of the you know pharmaceutical companies that has already been litigated so we don't have to debate that anymore <laughs> right yeah. but 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 we need to move forward and this is the avenue forward for that
1: yeah it is it is yeah
0: if anyone wants to help with some of the efforts i know you mentioned initially some of it is financial with mm-hmm. keeping some of these programs sustainable if somebody is interested in either monetarily helping or helping in any other way what is the best way that they can help cms and what's the best way that they can reach out
1: They can either, you can call my cell, that's 414-510-2573. You can text me, you can email me, and that's just amanda.deleon, so my first and last name, at cmsgiveshope.com, and I will lead you to the right place, that you can make that donation, um, that you can help out, whether it's just, hey, I hear you doing these pop-ups. What do you guys need help at these pop-ups? Can I bring... The sandwiches on these Monday pop ups where you guys are going in the communities, can I bring chips or can I just be there to provide prayer for somebody who wants Mm -hmm. prayer? Because, again, it's that holistic approach. Prayer doesn't work for everybody. Neither does, you know, medications for opioid use disorder, meeting that person where they're at and giving them the best quality of care possible, bringing all those resources to them.
0: right. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. I'm definitely going to be reaching out to you and see how how I can further help with any of the efforts that you guys are doing. Please continue to do amazing things in the community. We appreciate everything that you're doing. Uh, And thank you so much for taking your day off here and talking to me. I appreciate it.
1: No, I appreciate you asking me to be a part of this, Dr. Ford. I think we need more physicians like you in the EDs that understand it and that will say, okay, what can I do to help you? And doing things like this, thinking outside the box, right? using your, your power, your status to say, Hey, this is what I'm putting out there. Just like jelly roll. I loved it when jelly roll did that. I was like, yes, use your power and your status to get the word out. I freaking love it.
0: Shout out jelly roll. Yes. All right. Well, I appreciate you so much. Thank you so much.
1: You're welcome. Thank you.
0: So that's it. I want to thank Amanda De Leon for coming out and talking with us, sharing some of that valuable information on opioid use disorder and the services that are available in the state of Wisconsin, as well as in Milwaukee County. I want to thank you for listening. Join us next time where we'll have another special guest and cover more healthcare topics that affect the Milwaukee County area, as well as throughout the state of Wisconsin. Take care of yourselves, take care of each other. And if you need me, Come and see me.